Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we will be discussing an overview of the Synoptic Gospels. So let's get started. It, it, it has to be an overview because uh, you, could, you could spend hours on just one aspect of the Gospel or Gospels. And, and not to mention, when I think about my own training and background in the scriptures, is that you had entire courses just on one piece of an aspect of a gospel, John's gospel, Acts of the Apostles. So uh, it's, uh, it's good to be here with you, Lindsay. And, uh, and I guess here we go, because this is really a general overview of, of, the, of all of the gospels and Acts. And maybe in the future a bit, you know, we are able to, to take each one of those and to really look at those more specifically. Because when you start to look at them, you know, just as a particular gospel, they really do have an awful lot to offer. And there are just some unique elements to each of these gospels that a lot of times we would never imagine or would ever even think about. And yet they, they contribute so much to What's the gospel is saying? First of all, you know, the, the time, the day, the age, who this Jesus was, who they believed him to be, who they wanted him to be, who they, in a way, they, he turned out to be. And all of that is, is really expressed in so many ways by, by different pieces or different uh, aspects uh, of, of, of each individual gospel and of the Acts of the Apostles. So when we're looking at, at all of this stuff, you know, as I mentioned, one could speak for hours. Uh, both uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have traditionally been called the synoptic gospels, okay, meaning that they were pretty much viewed together as, 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 as a whole, you might say. And there are, um, when you look at them, you know, kind of spread out in front of you, in fact, they have books that do this very thing, is that you see the similarities. And you see the striking differences between these Gospels. And so when you lay them side by side. So though there are uh, different authors and uh, that they, they drew from, uh, you know, might say a rich tradition, is that they are also, obviously, they drew some from specific sources that the others didn't necessarily have. The structure and the style of, of the three are, are, are very different from the Gospel of John. That's, that is for sure. For example, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the public ministry starts with healing and teaching. Uh, it starts in Galilee, has a single purpose to move to Jerusalem, uh, ends with rejection, death, resurrection. A major theme of the preaching is, is the advent of of the rule of God, the kingdom of God. That, that's really a major thrust. When you go to John's gospel, is that he moves back and forth between Galilee and Judea. So even geographically, they're looking at a, at a different place. Uh, his teaching is not through short sayings or parables. He has these long discourses that, you know, in the Bible can go on for pages. Uh, and mm -hmm. so he goes through these long theological discourses that he has. There are no parables in John, which is an interesting thing. You don't find any parables in John. That um, is interesting. Yeah, there, there are no exorcisms and there are very few healings. Huh. When you I, consider John seems to be more dramatic... 
Yes. Surprising that those aren't in there. Yeah, they're not there. They're found in, and you know, the presumption by many people is that, well, of course they're found in all of them. And yet, again, when you, when you, the striking, what's really striking is when you see in, and they call it the, the synoptic gospels is when they have it laid out in columns, all four, you see the, the healings and you see the parables. And in John, it's just a blank column because there's, <laughs> it, that's, that's the striking thing saying, Wow, I thought that wasn't John, but it's not. And and so it's it's realizing that John has a very different style. But we're going to talk about that a little later because John is kind of in a, in a world unto his own, you might say. And the synoptics, we want to look at them uh, a little more, more closely. The synoptics, you know, when we think about their synoptic gospels, is that they are, this does not mean that they're simply copies of each other. And in fact, even how we refer to them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This, even this order, you know, was presumed to be that Matthew was the original of the synoptics and that everything was based on his. And that really was taken because of misinformation or let's say assumptions that, that early writers like Augustine and a few others had that that this wasn't even this wasn't accurate, and it wasn't until really the uh, mid part of the twentieth century, where you're going into the 1940s and such, is that we began to realize that, or scholars began to realize that, you know, Matthew really wasn't the first, and they could see the patterns again of of, of why they would say that. Now this is still, and I'll mention this a little later too, that this is still a, a theory, so <laughs> we can't say with absolute certainty but it now looks as if that it is most likely mark is the first matthew and then luke is that mark the shortest mark is the shortest now and there's again reasons for that he is considered to be the one who wrote the earliest of all of them is that there would have been a lot of presumptions on his parts he didn't have to fill in the blanks okay. okay for an example i would give you an example if somebody throws out the date 9-11. If you lived at that time and you were an adult or even young enough to, uh, old enough to understand, yeah. you don't need to fill in the blanks. Someone who was born way after that would need to fill in the blanks. What actually happened? Okay. okay. So sense. Mark is that one is that he is shortest. There's a greater sense of urgency where Mark is just right in your face and he starts where, you know, at the baptism and right to the desert. Matthew and Luke have these long stories of explanation. Mark, you don't want time. You don't need explanations. It's happening. It's happening right now. Get with the program or your toast. You, you know, for Mark, it's right there in your face. He doesn't have time nor the energy, you might say, to be telling all sorts of long <laughs> stories. So they, they, so they obviously, with the synoptics, you know, they draw from similar sources, though they have different styles different things that are moving them forward, different reasons even for why they write. Um, so we're looking at saying they obviously drew from sources, but they were still individuals and they were writing to in, in, particularly to individual communities. For example, again, going back, Mark, he begins the story with Jesus's baptism, goes right into the desert temptation. Matthew, 
he begins with a long infancy narrative. He traces the history or what he sees as the history. It is terribly, terribly important for Matthew to connect it to the Old Testament. He is writing primarily to Jews. He wants the Jews to understand Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. And so he pulls in. He, Matthew is always saying, as it, was, as it was foretold in the scriptures, as it was to be fulfilled as the scriptures said. He's always making comments like that. And the other thing that Matthew, you have to remember with Matthew, is that Matthew and the community that he's part of, they're ticked off because they can no longer be part of the synagogues. By that time, followers of Jesus were basically kicked out of the synagogues. So they were not able to go to the temple to pray. They were not able to go to their places of worship. And so Matthew will paint the Jews in a very poor light, the leadership in a very poor light, because they have kicked them out of their places. And so he wants to, one, kind of rub it in their face, and two, he wants to make sure he, you got it wrong. Yeah. He really is the one. It's like a proof. Yes. This so why we're right. And that's why Matthew writes the way he does Luke, um, he begins also with an infancy narrative, though, and he puts a posit much more positive twist on, the, on Jerusalem and the leadership in Jerusalem and on the Romans. Matthew and Mark, not so much. They, they were in the heat of it. Um, and Who, so, who's Luke writing for? Luke is writing, actually, Luke would be considered, you might say, a third generation writer. So he's not the eyewitness, not the, he's writing a third, he's writing to a community that is much farther removed. He's writing to a community that you might say he has to play nice with the Romans because if he doesn't is that uh, there were still a lot of persecution and so if he paints a nicer picture is that 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 put things in a better light for him. And, and his reasoning for writing, though, is not, is not you know, the proof like in, in Matthew or is not the urgency of, of Mark. He is writing to a group that he wants to show the universality of the message. In Jesus, indeed, Jesus was the one, but it's not just for a particular community. It's not just for the Jews, though they are first. He wants to show that it's for the Romans too. It's for a broader community. So he's writing to a community that's that's farther removed and, and would not have had nearly the personal experience. With Luke and his second volume, you might say the, the Acts of the Apostles, he picks up the story where the Gospels end mm -hmm. and, and again he shows it it's much bigger than just the Gospels. It's, this is a much bigger endeavor. Mm -hmm. And and he shows, you might say, through his writings of the Acts of the Apostles, just what it meant for the disciples to really make this, this come about. We also then jump into, so those are just a few differences of, of the three. And then one question, where's, who's Mark writing to? Is he's writing to those that saw Jesus? And Many of them would have saw Jesus. Many of them would have heard him preach. And there was the there was the, the certainly the belief at his time yet that when Jesus talked about the end time about the apocalypse you know the coming of of the end 
Matthew's folks would have been right there with it. You don't worry about, you know, some of the details when you expect, you know, that, that end time to be coming next week or tomorrow. And so there is this urgency because these would have been people that would have heard him, would have walked with him, maybe even some rejected him, but he's writing with an urgency that the so other two Here's what have. you need to know in order yep. to get saved. Yep. And as you move farther away through Matthew and then Luke and certainly John, you don't have that urgency because they have come to realize that apocalyptic aspect, that ending, that end time, it's going to take a little longer than we figured. Mm -hmm. And so we need to prepare for that. In fact, part of what Matthew and Luke have to do, and certainly John, is to kind of shake people out of their complacency because they have come to a point where, well, maybe it's not going to come. Maybe this really isn't, you know, what he meant. And so they have to shake people out of that complacency saying, no, he is the one. What he was saying is true, maybe just not as quickly or as soon as we I mean, had anticipated. That makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. you get worried that something's going to happen and then the longer that it doesn't, you just get relaxed yep. and you're like, okay, we can deal with this. And so the, the stories of being alert at the gate, uh, the, you know, the stories of, of the, the, the virgins with the lanterns, all of those, those stories are speaking of wake up, don't fall asleep, don't become complacent because it is going to happen, just maybe not when we had thought. Mm -hmm. So as we move then through through the synoptics, is that uh, or continue with the synoptics, is that there is, as I mentioned, there's still a lot of debate about you know what the synoptics are, are about, how they were put together. Um, as I mentioned, Matthew was thought to be the first, and then uh, later recognized that Mark was actually the first gospel. Um, Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. It is evident by virtually the identical material that Mark had, and so that they would have used Mark as a source for their Gospels. Maybe they just all thought all those stories, same stories were important. There is a theory out there that says that too. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> um, Matthew and Luke also used another source not found at all in Mark, and that is referred to as the Q source. Q standing for quell, Q-U-E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, which is a German word for source. You know? The source source? Source, yeah. <laughs> so most likely, and in, in the Q was more Q source, most likely an independent uh, compilation of, of sayings, of stories that Mark simply didn't have access to which is very possible. Again, when he wrote, how he wrote, the length of time, you know, the urgency with which he wrote, he was going to sit down and probably pen that puppy right there, right then, right now, whereas Matthew and Luke would have certainly had more time, would have had maybe a bigger connection to larger communities uh, so that they would have had access. So it's 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 most like an independent uh, source of sayings, parables, uh, not known by Mark. But or, maybe written around the same time. Simply probably wrote, written, not wrote around <laughs> the same time, probably written, simply Mark was not aware of it. Yeah. You know, uh, he didn't have Google, you know, all of those Google Docs. Right. Hard Is to it, know all of the books. Yes. So he would have, he certainly could have had a, a much more limited 
source of stories, a smaller community that he would have been part of, that would have uh, would have, would certainly be understandable then why he may not have had that, but certainly written around the same time. Uh, through this understanding then of the synopsis, synoptics is accepted by uh, most scholars, but as I mentioned, it's still ideally or still uh, uh, specifically a theory. It's nothing we can, what can be proven, so it, it still remains uh, a theory. So then how did Matthew end up coming first in the like printing of the gospel? Is not, it because he starts with like the Jesus is begotten would, of this? Yes, this this? that would be my guess. Similar, similar, and I would say this similar in the vein that why Genesis was put at the beginning of the Bible. Not that the book was written first, mm -hmm. but that it speaks of the first things. It speaks of the beginning. It speaks of the Garden of Eden. Uh, so it's it was placed there, you know, before really sophisticated scholarship you really just went by the words or what the story was about and so they didn't have the sophistication that has that really developed in many ways in the 1940s and 50s um, that really helped us look at language culture all sorts of indicators of, of of how people spoke how they wrote how they whatever there simply was not that sophistication so if you have a book that talks about the very beginning when God created, well, you put that one at the beginning. Sure. And then you have the next one and the next one and the next one. So even when you have with Matthew, Matthew by far is the one with the, with the most, you know, the, the, the greatest infancy narrative mm -hmm. and how complex it is. And, and, and at the first, you know, it's just taken at face value. You know, this happened here. He has the whole genealogy. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas Luke has a genealogy, but it's later on, you know, after the, he talks about the ministry of Jesus and all of the baptism of Jesus. So you start looking at that, and by just, you know, plain face value, you say, yeah, this one is first. Here's a second one because this one is obviously third because of just some, you know, like I said, face value looking. looking it's at it. interesting, though, because Mark like you said, doesn't have an infancy narrative. So it, you would think they put Matthew first and then Luke, because Luke does, where, you know, there's two Genesis stories. True, but Luke also has where th Luke places things. For example, his genealogy is not in the beginning. It's mm -hmm. much later and such. Where he would have placed things would have said probably, he, he obviously, even at face value, Luke didn't have the knowledge of the culture, of the language, or of the people. He is again writing as a, as a third generation. He's more like a, a person who was viewing it, you know, from a considerable distance away. Mm -hmm. It is evident with Mark, he has personal experience. So they did a combination of chronological and they, Matthew it, comes yeah. first because he has the baby story. Correct. And, gotcha. and they would have certainly recognized that even, for example, uh, again, I go back to 9-11, how a person would have just not explaining anything around it said, obviously he was writing to a people, you know, when he talked about this or the, the, um, the crucifixion, the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the whole, the, all of these types of things. He obviously was aware 
of the people and the culture and the language. For Luke, even the way he writes, it's obvious he is not a local. <laughs> he is someone who is much more removed. That's why they consider by the, the use of language, the mm -hmm. use, he is, like I said, a third generation uh, writer as opposed to Matthew and Mark, who would have been much closer and the experience that they talked about would have been much closer. Makes sense. So it's, it's you know, when you start to look at that, you say, wow, yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that really is. But we don't think about that because when we usually hear the gospels being proclaimed, it's always piecemeal. Mm -hmm. And and it's, it's when you start putting, you know, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's when you start putting all of those colors together, you start saying, oh, wow, you know, that now it makes sense. And in some ways, you know, because there was such a, a huge part of our history where we did not encourage reading the Bible, uh, where we did not encourage uh, scripture study, many of our Protestant brothers and sisters are way beyond sometimes the understanding. Even though they may approach it a little bit differently and sometimes very differently, their, their concept of, of how the scriptures and these things were put together um, and many times is way beyond where sometimes the people of our, our own tradition. Now, I believe we're, we're taking huge strides in, in, in doing much better at it. Um, but we have like a long, big gap there where, <laughs> you know, people were not encouraged because there was the fear of heresy. There was the fear of, and you know, what's, what's interesting is that there was the fear that people were going to get it all wrong. And all of the experts had it all wrong anyway. <laughs> That's what, what kind of, you know, you, you do. You, you kind of chuckle a little bit and say, you know, all of these people that we thought had it all right and we didn't want to go astray and we didn't want her heretical things and we didn't want mistakes. And, and biblical scholarship has recognized that many of these folks, not that there was any ill will or bad faith, they had it all wrong anyway, though, when it came really down to how some of these were put, things were put together and in some ways what some of these things meant. That's what I believe in one of the graces that the power of the Spirit has brought to modern biblical scholarship in a lot of ways. So it's, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that, that we are beginning to learn, you might say. Though at first, you know, it was believed that, you know, continuing with the, with the synoptics here, though it was first believed that John wrote his gospel differently than the synoptics, though he was aware of all of the synoptics. Uh, there is now the belief, and we'll talk a little bit about that later, there is now the belief in regard to the synoptics. It is very likely, most likely, he had either very little knowledge or no knowledge at all of the synoptic gospels. Now, it could have been because of where he wrote, could have simply been for lots of different reasons, again, that, you know, because of, of communication and all of that, but it is evident by his concepts, his approach, his, his theology, is that he is just at a much different place than the synoptics. So it is most likely that he may have had a little knowledge of it, but probably it is possible, too, that he simply had no knowledge of the synoptics. And so he wrote in a very different way at a very different time. Mm -hmm. And even as we grow in the knowledge of John, is that who was the actual author? It is oftentimes believed that it was John, the beloved disciple, that is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, that is seriously questioned, whether, first of all, it could have even been, have been him, you know, whether he would have been um, 
because he would have been at a considerable age for to have been written during the time that he wrote. And there are a lot of disconnects. Is it absolute fact? Again, theory. Can't prove it, um, but it is very likely that it was not the beloved disciple that, that could it have been him telling his story to someone who wrote it down most likely a scribe or a uh, a student of his that he uh, probably repeated the stories for or that he is somebody that was a disciple of his most likely um, and if that were the case then it is very possible and that, that that disciple may not have had knowledge of the of the synoptics or a very rudimentary knowledge, and so simply did not uh, deem you know it, it important to really include mm -hmm. the information again because there are some glaring things when you think about what is not in John's gospel that parables, exorcisms, and healings are so prevalent in the other three. You would think that if if nothing else, you would have used some of the more important parables, some of the more important healing stories that 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 were simply present in all of the other in the synoptics but simply are nowhere to be found and so that's why it really leads that you know the the possibilities that either a very rudimentary knowledge if any at all and so probably not deemed to be really that important as opposed to writing down what the disciple you know uh, what wanted to tell them when it comes to the synoptic gospels, it also it's important how they see Jesus, you know, and that, that's always a, a piece. Uh, John, before the synoptic, has a strong emphasis on the transcendent Jesus. It is very obvious that Jesus is divine in, in even how he he writes. In the beginning was the word, and the word, you know, that, mm -hmm. that whole beginning where they're talking, again, infancy narratives and stuff like that. So when someone pointed out to me that that is technically an infancy narrative, sort of. Sort of. Because it gives you the beginning of Jesus. True. <laughs> I, there would be a lot who would question that, but I mean, yes. There, 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 there is, you know, there would probably be some truth to that. Uh, it, it, it does talk about a beginning. There's, mm -hmm. there's no question about that. Uh, it is a much more theological approach, right. and you know, as far as that goes. But yes, you know, it is not very, really a baby. But you yeah, know. You're, yeah, you're not talking babies. You're talking divinities. Um, he also talks about the preexistent. He that's very important to John, uh, the preexistence, uh, and the also that of the incarnation that the word is made flesh those are key pieces that john speaks of when he talks about jesus matthew uh, when he talks about jesus he approaches it from telling the story for him as i mentioned before telling the story is important because it connects it to the very beginning and that for matthew is so terribly important as it was foretold in the scriptures as the prophets foretold, as it was for, you know, time and time and time again. Um, his, his task is to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Again, to prove to those people uh, who say he is not. Uh, in many ways, there are those who consider him to be a teacher, and by he and, and the way he uses the gospel, it is oftentimes 
considered to be almost a catechism, how Matthew writes and how he teaches, how he connects it to the Old Testament, how he shows who Jesus is, that it's almost catechetical in nature. Uh, the Messiah for Matthew is, uh, he is the hope of Israel. That is a key point for him. Uh, the Messiah for Matthew is close to the people. Uh, he was one of them. He touched them. He ate with them. He healed them. He spoke with them. He is very much connected to the people. He is not out there someplace, you know, floating in space. Uh, and the Messiah is for Matthew. It is, he is for the, the Savior of the world. I mean, it is really important. Mark this is not so much as with Matthew, the, a story of, you know, from the beginning in his, almost a salvation mm -hmm. history. Uh, for Mark, and he starts, right, this is, a, this is about the story about Jesus. This is the gospel about Jesus as Lord. There's no question. None, none whatsoever. Things move very quickly for him, and there is no time for stories, no time for... <laughs> What he needs is he needs to get his point across now. He needs to have people experience conversion now because the time is just right around the corner. And so that's very important. The key question when it comes to Jesus is in chapter 8, verse 29, who do you say that I am? That's the key question. <clears throat> and the most important way that it is answered is the cross. Because if you talk, uh, when you think about Mark, you will at times hear the, uh, the, the comment of the messianic secret, that the question comes out in a number of ways, and where it is finally officially pronounced is by the Roman soldier, truly this was the Son of God, answers the question, boom. And it's interesting is that it's not a disciple who really answers the question. It is that Roman sentry who stands there, truly this was the Son of God, answers the question, who do you say that I am? But the people who say that Jesus is Savior is, are the demons, are the, uh, are the uh, people who are Gentiles. They're the ones that will speak. In fact, he tells the demons or the, the demonic spirits, he tells them to be still when they say, you know, do not persecute us, you know, son of God or whatever. He tells them, be still. And so the question is ultimately answered, though. So it's always people who are not apostles. Correct. That say, That's correct. we know who you are. And, and that for Mark, again, it's revealed because the, the reveal is the great reveal. <laughs> the great reveal is on the cross. That's where it's ultimately revealed. The other focus for Mark is that um, one must be truly a disciple. I mean, this there is no in-between. There is no uh, uh, grade here of, of how you get to the... You are either a disciple or you are not. It is a call to discipleship. And, and, but that... I suppose. Yeah, it makes sense like, for his urgency. Yeah. Remember, it's coming right around the corner. And either you're left behind or you're a disciple and you are taken. You know, it, it's, it's for, for Mark, it really is that real sense of urgency. Hmm. Luke, again, looks at it very differently. He says straight out in his material, he's not an eyewitness. 
He depends on the stories of others. He says that in the very first lines to Theophilus. I love that he yeah. writes to Theophilus. That's yeah. the best name. I'm not an eyewitness. I depend on the stories of others. This is, again, why, as I mentioned, is that he would have, he is considered to be a third-generation uh, author, uh-huh. and that he would have had Mark, and he would have had the Q source, of course, with writing from those, and he would have had the stories that he inherited, you know, uh, stories that maybe the grandparents told him, stories that maybe uh, a friend told him, or whatever. So he, he wasn't connected with a apostle. Most likely that we not. Know no, of. no, he would have been too far out to be connected with the apostles. Hmm. And from what we know, when they were martyred. And when we know that, for example, that most of them were martyred or the age or where they would have lived, he would have been too far out and probably would have heard the stories of those who were connected to the, you know, to okay. the apostles. So he writes not in a sense in a personal way that there is a almost a personal, you know, connectedness here. What he does is he writes with what some would call with a sense of the universal vision. He want, he, this story is so important. He, he, it's recognized in the way Luke writes that he needs to get this story out to everybody. <laughs> and he doesn't want to lose it, you know, because people are dying or have died or whatever. And so he has this, you know, this, this patron, Theophilus, and he has this person and he wants to make sure that he gets this story out for the greater good, for, you know, for Rome, for, for the Christian community, for whomever will listen. He wants to get this word out. Terribly important for him to do that. And so the tendency then, even the way he writes his infancy narrative and such, is that, and, and where he places things, as I mentioned, for example, the genealogy, Matthew has it way at the beginning of the infancy narrative. Mm-hmm. Luke puts it after Jesus. They talk about Jesus's uh, mission and baptism. The genealogy is after that. So how he places things is is a little bit more in some not as much of a storyline as as Matthew would have had. When you're looking with with Luke, uh, again, it's not as personal. Um, he wants to assure all of us that Christianity belongs to the larger world. It's not just to a small group. And he wants to reassure us also, and this comes out in the Acts of the Apostles, but also in the Gospel. He wants to assure us that the Spirit of God has guided this whole process. This is not somehow simply a shot in the dark. This is not the chaos theory that somehow <laughs> if something happens long enough that it's all going to somehow turn out okay. This is guided by the Spirit. And now, and having said that, is that it doesn't mean that we're mere puppets. Is that the Spirit interjects only as the Spirit needs, but graces us with the ability to figure things out. Particularly, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when it comes to the Acts of the Apostles. (laughs) Okay. Some major differences, you might say. Uh, similar to Matthew, he starts with an infancy narrative. He puts in there, which the others don't, he puts in there about the tale about Jesus in the temple. When um, he's young, when he's like 12 yeah, when he'd be 12. Okay. 
he uh, has a real long journey uh, to Jerusalem where you have the, the stories and the healings and such that are, are taking place. Um, Jesus, uh, in, Mar in Luke, Jesus is never formally, has never really been tried by the authorities. There's no formal trial. Really? Yep. In Luke? In Luke. Also, Pilate in Luke insists on Jesus's innocence. This is one of the ways that when you talk about Luke, mm -hmm. is that he is far enough away and he's dealing with a whole nother political reality. He needs to somehow soften what the others have done uh, when it comes to the Romans and Jewish leadership. Um, they can have a powerful influence. And so what he does is that there is no formal trial. And particularly with the, uh, with the Romans, he tends to soften the approach to the Romans. This makes me want to go look at all of these stories and be like, really? Huh? <laughs> Are you sure? I swear I've read that before. No? Salvation is being worked out through the natural order of events for Luke. And that's how he really portrays it. Again, that's where the spirit comes in, is that this is not, you know, somehow, uh, there is not a formal plan that, that is all somehow written out. Uh, this is by natural events taking place, people making decisions, and, and the spirit involved in all of that. Ooh, that was a lot to unpack this week. So we're going to end it there, and we hope you join us next week when we pick back up with an overview of John's Gospel and Acts of the Apostles. Hope you enjoyed this show, and we'll see you next time.